Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Neuroscience Rounds. I'm Dr. Christy Snyder calling. This series serves as an introduction into neuroanatomy. This week is round three. We're going to start to talk about the visual system. It's complex, so we'll have a couple weeks of this. Um, today, we're going to start talking about the visual pathway. So we're going to trace light from entering your eye to entering V1, which is the primary visual uh, cortex, which is in the occipital lobe, right in the back of the brain. All right, so let's get started. So first, light enters into the pupil, which is essentially a hole in your eye. And then it's directed towards the very back of your eye, which is the retina. This is a um, zoomed-in view of the retina. So light comes in, and it hits the back of the eye. At that point, it is absorbed by photoreceptors. And then what is not absorbed by photoreceptors is absorbed by the pigment epithelium, which is basically to absorb extra light so it doesn't bounce back and degrade the visual image. Um, OK, so it hits the photoreceptors. There are two different kinds of photoreceptors. There are rods and there are cones. And the cones are for day vision, and they help you see the color. And rods are for night vision, and they help you see variations of gray. Um, there are more cones in the fovea. So the fovea is the point at the very back of the eye that has the most density of cones and has the smallest receptive area. So it helps you to see um, more precise. Um, there are more, however, rods in the whole area of the eye. That's because rods um, synapse onto more uh, interneurons. So light comes into the eye, hits the retina. Um, it's absorbed by the photoreceptors. There's some complicated chemical reactions that are beyond the scope of this talk. Um, but then information is communicated to the interneurons here. And the interneurons and synapse onto ganglion cells. So rods, many more rods synapse onto interneurons than cones. This helps you to see in dim light, so you're getting information from a wider area of the visual field. However, it's, it's not good for uh, spatial acuity because you're averaging information from more cells over a larger area. So you can see light, but you just can't see very precisely what's there. Okay, so then, like I said, it goes from the photoreceptors to the interneurons to the ganglion cells. The axons of the ganglion cells converge to form the optic nerve. Interesting thing here. Uh, the optic nerve has one million fibers, which is more than all of the fibers in the root ganglion cells and spinal cord going up. Um, this creates, um, a, like I said, the optic nerve, but that creates a blind spot. So here's another view. So again, this is where you're looking at, the point of fixation, comes in and hits the fovea, back here where there's a more uh, higher density of cones. And over to the side here, all of the ganglion axons converge to uh, form the optic nerve. Because there's no photoreceptors right here, that forms a blind spot. OK, so back to ganglion cells. Each ganglion cell has a receptive field. It's a circular receptive field. Um, and ganglion cells in the fovea have a smaller receptive field. 
so about one degree. And as you go out to the periphery, you get a larger receptive field, about three to five degrees. So that's why vision in the phobia is more precise than vision in the peripheries. Um, there are lots of different ways to categorize ganglion cells, but one way is to divide them into on-center and off-center ganglion cells. This is a little bit complicated, so we'll try to work through it here. So each ganglion cell has a receptive field. The receptive field is circular, and that field is divided into two parts. There's a center and there's a surround. So you have on-center ganglion cells where if light hits the center, then the, um, the ganglion cell is activated and has more nerve impulses or action potential. Where if it hits the, the surround, it hits less. So nerves fire randomly without any stimulation. So for these, if you have light only in the center, then you get more firing. If you have light only on the outside, you have less firing. If light hits both of them, it cancels out. We'll talk about that more in a second. Then you have off-center receptive fields, which are the opposite way. So if light hits only the center, you have inhibited firing. Or if it's only the surround, you have increased firing. This is another view of what this looks like. So light comes in and hits the back of the eye, hits the photoreceptors. So you have um, cones and rods, and they populate the surround and the center. And those synapse onto interneurons, which synapse onto the ganglion cell. Right? So the ganglion cell, this is the receptive field. So I'll say this slow because it's a little bit complicated. But the information that's transmitted from the cones to the ganglion cell is proportional to the uh, signal, uh, the difference in signal contributed by the, the photoreceptors in the center and the sur surround. So essentially, if there's more light hitting the center, then you'll have increased activation. If there's more light hitting the surround, you'll have decreased. But if it hits both equally, then it just kind of cancels out. And the reason for that is because um, if you have just the absolute intensity of light, it doesn't really tell you anything about what you're looking at. It tells you more about the light source. But if you have it designed like this, it has contrast. And that's really what you want to see, is you want to see the contrast of the object that you're looking at. So this has a, a couple implications. First, this is essentially what your ganglion cells see. So this is a picture of a girl and her bunny, but what the neural image from your ganglion cells is just the contrast and the outline of the image. This also um, has an implication for perception. So these two squares here are the same hue. They look different because of the background. So this one looks darker because there's a lighter background, and this looks lighter because there's a darker background but I promise it's actually the same color. If you don't believe me, here's the example a different way. Circle is the same color, but when it's separated out, you can see the contrast, which gives you a different perception of the hue of the color. So back to tracing the visual pathway. All right, so when you're looking at the visual field, everything on the right side of the visual field hits the left part of both eyes, and everything on the left side of the visual field hits the right side of both eyes. So it comes in through the pupil, hits the retina, down through the optic nerve, and then it hits the optic chiasm. And at this point, everything that hits the left side of the eye goes to the left side of the brain. That's from the right visual field. And everything from the right side of the eye goes to the right side of the brain, but it's from the left side of the visual field. Once it goes through the optic chiasm, 
um, then it has three subcortical targets. So one is the protectal area, the other is a superior colliculus, and the third is a lateral nucleus. The first two have nothing to do with visual perception. The protectal area is uh, just pupillary reflexes, so how big or small your pupil is based on how much light there is. The second one has to do with eye movements. We'll go into that more in a second. And the third, the LGN, um, is part of the thalamus, and then that projects onto the primary visual cortex. And we'll talk more about that. So that's where you actually get visual perception. Okay, so uh, this is the superior colliculus and it coordinates visual, somatic, and um, auditory information to orient the head and eyes towards a stimulus. So there are actually three maps in this part of the brain. So we talked about the somatotopic map and somatosensory cortex and how um, there, there's more cortex devoted to areas that have, are more sensitive, like the um, lips, um, or have more motor control, like the fingers. Well, it's different here. Here the representation is determined by how close it is to your eyes. So like your nose has more visual uh, representation or more cortex visual uh, representation than like areas of your hand, your fingertips. And this is all to help you orient to a stimulus in space. Once it goes from the superior colliculus, it then can go to one of two different places. Um, one is the brain stem, so it can go to there to help again orient you towards a stimulus or it can go to the cerebellum, and that helps to kind of coordinate movements as a whole based on the visual information. Okay, so now let's go back to tracing uh, light for visual perception. So light comes in through the pupil, hits the retina. Once it hits the retina, you hit a photoreceptor. Information is passed to um, inner neurons, and then it goes to ganglion cells. I talked earlier about how there are on-center and off-center ganglion cells. You can also divide them into M and P cells. So this introduces the concept of parallel processing, where information is taken in and processed differently, through, but at the same time as it goes through the brain. So in the retina, you have two different kinds of cells. The M cells have large bodies, they have large receptive fields, and the P cells are very small with small receptive fields. So the M cells are getting information about movement and kind of gross features about what you're looking at. P cells are for fine details and color vision. So there's different kinds of information about the same visual scene. It's received by different receptors. And then it goes to different parts of the brain. So it comes in and then it hits the LGN. M cells then go to the first two layers um, of the LGN, whereas P cells go to the other four layers of the um, LGN. So it's being processed at the same time, but separately. At this point, it projects to um, V1, which is in Brahman's area 17, which is around the calcarine fissure right there in the back. Um, I talked earlier about how um, layers of cortex have six layers and about how once, it goes to, once information goes to the thalamus, it then projects to layer four. Well, the same thing happens here, but in uh, V1, Layer four itself has four sublayers, and information from the M and P cells go to different targets. So this information is separate all the way from the eyes to V1. Okay, a few things I wanted to talk about here is this is the visual field, and this is what the retina sees. So when information comes in, the retina actually flips it. 
So what's actually on the, ups, on the top part of the visual field is on the bottom part of your retina. Everything is upside down. If you see here in the brain, it's still upside down. So you have one and two, which on the left side of the visual field is processed by the right side of the brain. Also, what's on top is processed on the bottom because it's on the bottom here in the retina and it's still on the bottom in the visual uh, V1. It gets flipped back right side up later on in processing. Something else to be aware of is that um, the fovea is what you're looking at and it has the smallest part of the visual field, but it has more cortex devoted to, to it um, because again, it has the smallest receptive fields and it's more precise vision uh, what you're looking at than around the periphery. This is called cortical magnification. Okay, so what's happening in V1? So we talked earlier about how ganglion cells um, have the circular receptive fields and they have the on or off center, which is different from what the surround is. Once you get into V1, these cells that are adjacent are combined, the information is combined. So this is the ganglion cells and it synapses onto the V1 cell and it goes from four uh, circular receptive fields to one rectangular one. So in V1, receptive fields are rectangular. The cells in V1 are organized into columns. So this is a single column, so a cell will be sensitive to a certain orientation of stimulus. So say this is a vertical line, and there's also a hyper column, so you have information from one eye and the other eye. And then next to a column, the cell next to it is a response to stimuli that are slightly off-center, so 10 degrees shift in orientation. The amount of activity for one cell depends on the extent to which the stimulus in the visual field matches its preferred orientation. So there's a vertical line. The cell that corresponds to that vertical line is the most active. And then cells that correspond to slightly off are a little bit less active, and so on as it goes to a horizontal line, which is, does not match the preferred orientation. So the amount of activity for a certain cell um, depends on the extent to which the stimulus reflects its preferred orientation, but it also depends on what the neighboring cells are doing. They're a process called lateral inhibition. So the vertical line um, has the most activation, and because it's most active, it inhibits the ones to the side. So this is the activity without lateral inhibition, and this is with it. And it decreases the activity of the other cells. And this is so that when it moves on to the next layer of processing, it's a more competitive stimulus so that what your brain thinks it sees matches more appropriately to what's actually out there in the visual field. Okay, so how do we know that the, this is how the visual field works? In the 50s, Hubel and Weissel did a experiment on cats. So they uh, put the cats to sleep, not dead asleep, but just were sleeping. And they stuck an electrode in the brain and then they showed light and they were listening to the brain, uh, the neurons actually fire. And so I'm gonna show you a video. And at first you hear a random firing of the cells. And then as the light stimulus enters in the receptive field, you'll hear it, uh, the um, activity increase. And as it goes away, it'll decrease. So the video is not working on this, but it is working on here. Okay, let's see if we can turn it up. All right.
So those are the random firing. So now it's hitting the on center of the receptive field and you can hear the neurons firing. See it's marking where the on part is. And then it gets quiet as it goes to the off surround. He's moving back on to the on part and then the off. Actual neurons firing. I think it's very cool the first time I saw this. Now these are simple cells and simple cells respond to only orientation. You have complex cells that also respond to orientation as well as movement. So this responds to only the horizontal line in that one area of space. But the complex cells respond to a line of that orientation, but it can be anywhere in the visual field. And we can show you more of that. Let's see. And these are the complex cells. This responds to vertical. It's over a wider space. They're mapping their receptive field of this complex cell here. Now, interesting thing about this is there is this concept called blind sight. And it's where if there's damage further up in the um, visual uh, processing pathway, you, you will have a perception of not seeing anything. However, if I say there's a slit in this, you know, and you have to put like a mail into this slot, and you're like, I can't see anything, I don't know how to orient my hand towards a slot. However, if you say, okay, just, just do a thing, and let's see if it works. And some of these people who have this brain damage, but actually V1 is, is working, but later versions are not working, um, then they can actually put mail in, this, in the correctly oriented slot, even though they'll tell you that they can't see anything, but some part of the visual process is working at that level of V1, and they can actually put mail in the right oriented slots, even though they say they can't see anything. There's also um, experiments with monkeys where they will um, damage further uh, layers of the visual pathway, and they'll be like walking around objects, even though they're technically blind, they don't perceive anything, but they do at some level of processing and are able to move around objects. Um, it's pretty cool, so I'll have to find a video of that and show it to you. Um, okay, I know it's pretty complex today, but that's where we're going to stop there. And then next week we'll talk about uh, depth perception, motion, and color vision. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Rounds podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, 
and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.